writers, agents, and publishers, for the first time since the Gutenberg Press, find themselves lost in a maze of mystery as technology alters the shape of the publishing industry. Searching for Answers is a group of writers throwing pop culture, writing, and publishing into a crucible of clarity, passion, and humor. This group is the Right Pack. Welcome to Right Pack Radio. This is David Allen Lucas, your host. And today we are going to talk about can you write a utopian novel now in a world that's been filled with dystopian stories. Dystopia versus utopia. And with me today is... Kathleen Kayembe. I have uh, published GLBT romance under the pen name Kaseka and Vita, and I love writing fantasy and urban fantasy and anything to do with witches. I'm T.W. Finley. I'm a historical fantasy and science fiction writer, and my Zero Time Chronicles is out and available. Brad R. Cook, author and publisher, uh, Blank Slate Press. We're open to submissions, so if you got something literary, send it our way. I'm an author of steampunk novels, and uh, I have one coming out in uh, November. I'm Jennifer Stolzer. I write fantasy, and I spend my days illustrating children's books and book covers and things like that. I'm Melanie Colaney, and um, I write sci-fi, fantasy, and some nonfiction. I'm Matt McGraw. Uh, I'm an amateur writer. I write short stories mostly because they're not so terribly difficult. And uh, I'm also working on a picture book with uh, my cousin Jennifer Stolzer called Patrick the Spider. Matt, I like you, but only an amateur writer can claim a short story not that difficult. (laughs) Compared to like a novel, I guess. It depends on how your brain works. Some people find short stories easier. Other people find epics way easier than short stories. We're going to have to use that as a future topic. I think think we have found it. No, actually we'll (laughs) stay on topic with that because... As mostly a novel writer, in fact, I really do have trouble writing short stories, but as a novel writer, I combine science fiction, mystery, and horror together, and I tend to write dystopia. I honestly don't believe that utopia can ever exist. Mm-hmm. So let me ask everybody here, we have got a industry that's filled right now with dystopian novels. Probably one of the most commonly loved right now is Hunger Games, which is, I think is a fantastic idea, but... Can we write utopia in this world that we're living in today? Okay. The reason we have such dystopian right now is a paradigm shift in the way our culture sees the future. I would say Gene Roddenberry threw up a really beautiful utopia. Mm -hmm. There's no money, no food worries, there's no racial problems, everybody seems to get along. No poverty. No poverty. It's illegal. Exactly. I mean, that's important. It's illegal. (laughs) So, to that end now, we no longer believe in the future Roddenberry laid out during the 60s. We now have a much more darker view of the future and what's coming, and that's because of corruption, environmental disasters, and all kinds of stuff like that. So I think that's more why we see a plethora of dystopian right now. Yeah, see, I don't think, uh, like, there's no utopia possible, you say, but I don't think it needs to... Like, the utopia you lay out doesn't have to be, like, the perfect one that would actually exist in reality. There just needs to be an audience for people who, like... Like imagining how a system could be really great in the future. Along with it, I'm going to let Melanie, you're going to go here next. Um, but real fast, going with one thing that Brad was talking about, there's been a paradigm switch. There was a meme, my, meme if I'm pronouncing that correctly, meme. that I've seen recently that I wish I could have my hands on. It showed this is what the people of the 1980s 
thought the future would look like. It was all bright and shiny, flying cars, whatever. And this is what the people of the 2000s see it as. And he's really grimy, dirty, dark picture. And I wonder if there's been a change in the way we look at things because of events like 9-11. The Jetsons didn't become real. The Jetsons yeah. didn't become real. I didn't real. get my flying car. I'm not living way up in the sky. I don't have my cool robot. And right. I can't just push one button to get And there's a saying from one of my favorite TV shows, Babylon 5. It talks about dystopia versus utopia in this little brief dialogue. And one of the characters says, yeah, the future should have come with a warning label on it. It said, some assembly required. I was wondering, I think whether or not it's possible to write a utopian novel today, and by write it, of course it's possible to write it, write it, get it published, and have people want to read it is what we really care about. But um, how are we defining utopia? For example, Harry Potter. That seemed like a pretty neat world to live in. There were problems. Very big problems. There were very big very problems, big problems. <laughs> but especially <laughs> at the end. Problems. I think Voldemort kind of rules it out as a utopia. But the thing yeah. is, Voldemort was defeated at the end. At Spoiler the end alert! Of... <laughs> <laughs> but the point Just is... so everyone knows, he dies at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Harry or, or Harry or Voldemort? Yes. Oh, we man. can't keep him. Oh my gosh, they will kill you. The point is, <laughs> that world wasn't perfect, but... Could you define that? It, it certainly wasn't dystopian. Let's put it that way. I have a list of some things that we can mm-hmm. just kind of use maybe as a guideline or maybe not. Mm-hmm. Uh, utopian uh, has a council whose members work for the greater good, equality, integrated, and communal society, uh, underlying message of hope. And we can contrast that mm-hmm. with dystopian being perhaps big government and military with an evil leader, inequality, segregated, oppressed society, underlying message of despair and warning. Yeah. So what's paradise then? Because yeah. to me, if you were to give me a treehouse, uh, water, uh, a nice plethora of food growing somewhere that I could easily jump on and start eating, and you know... That's utopia. I, I'm not going to lie. I don't need much more than food, water, and a cool treehouse. So you'd rather be a hunter-gatherer, basically. <laughs> well, it doesn't even have to be a hunter-gatherer. It's just, you know, I mean, I'd love to have modern conveniences and all that kind of stuff, too. But my point is, my point is, is that, you know, all, you know to, to create a utopia for me, I mean, just give me a desert island and enough food and water on it so that I'm good... And, you know, enough books to keep me going, or maybe a Kindle or something, you know, <laughs> with Wi-Fi. Can I get Wi-Fi, air conditioning yeah. on that island, too? Okay. So, you know, but Whoa, to that end. Greedy. The one thing that Vince pointed out in utopia and societies is the dystopia inside of utopia is there is no creativity. There's no, that it is the struggle that we as writers, as artists, as musicians, those those who are musicians as well, Faith is where our creativity stems from. We don't have a reason in Utopia to have that creativity. We may write our own stories. In fact, Star Trek, you mentioned Gene Roddenberry a little while ago. Star Trek makes fun of that concept a couple of times. One is a phrase, somebody said, well, when was the last time the Vulcans had a novel come out? Mm -hmm. And another one, there was an entire episode of a Utopian human society it was faced yeah. with disaster because they never had the need to adapt anything which they had. And I don't want to do spoiler alerts on that. So the fact is, can there be a real utopia? I have a few questions. Um, oh, no. I know. So, David and Teresa, you guys have basically ruled out one of my questions. Is Brave New World a utopia or a dystopia? And I wanted to ask that because... 
I'm pretty sure Brad's idea of a utopia and mine would be very different. Mm -hmm. And my idea of a utopia and my sister's or my brother's would be very different again. Theirs would be much louder than mine. Mine (laughs) would have all the books ever. So whose idea of a utopia is the one that we're going to classify? And if we're writing a utopia, is mine going to be something that the reader can necessarily consider the same thing? Or will they be like, this is hell on earth? To answer those questions and to answer Dave's question... I think utopia is one a dream and two fleeting. <laughs> so especially especially when you're writing. You know, utopia should probably be a a dream is so is it real or is it uh, um, a something we all kind of agree to just not look at the bad stuff. You know, is that utopia or is, oh. you know, utopia literally in is utopia going to last or is it just that for a short time, you had that utopia, and then something comes in and so dystopians in, it. So in The Matrix, we gave you utopia, we gave you an Eden, and you guys, we gave you the perfect world, and you kept on fighting against exactly. it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And um, then I guess social inequalities, um, utopia for one group and complete dystopia for the other. You could have that too. Mm-hmm. And I want to kind of just jump with, dis- with the dystopian aspect of utopia. I'm going to go jump back to what um, Jennifer was saying a moment ago with Star Trek. In case anyone missed it, she said that poverty was illegal. They, they, they had eliminated poverty. In a television show and book series, Babylon 5, there was a whole entire rebellion going on, but, but, and the Earth government had been overthrown. But that new Earth government had redefined the term homeless. Hmm. There was no, there was, we had no homeless. You had to be lazy. Because obviously we had jobs for you to fulfill, and so forth. So, what is dystopia? What is utopia? Please continue. <laughs> well, I it seems uh, like you just show up to prompt us to yes. say something. Well, the uh, <laughs> the definition that Teresa read, I was thinking if you just take the last part of that definition, namely the message is primarily hopeful. That novel you can definitely write it. I don't, I'm not sure if it's, I'm not sure there's, I think Star Trek Next Gen comes the closest, but even there, even that world isn't perfect. It'd be rather boring if it was actually perfect. Mm -hmm. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) See, I don't think you can write a utopian and not have a really boring book. Exactly. You need conflict. And if everything's perfect, where are you going to go except hell on work? Which is why I was asking whether or not utopia is nothing more than a fleeting thought, because especially in your writing... You've got, to in, you've got to insert conflict, you have to insert, you know, evil characters and good characters, and at some point you're going to break it all down and you're going to have that utopian fracture. Oh, but the whole society characters. doesn't have to fracture. Oh, but, it, it does in Deep Space Nine, but it doesn't But the utopia to. fractures. Yeah. Okay, let me, let me toss out two, and I, I don't want to get political, so please don't take this as a political statement, but I'm going to oh, use well, two... Political utopia. Utopias. Two types, two political thoughts in utopia, which are diametrically opposed, and this is where you could go with utopia versus dystopia. Socialism. socialism. Yeah. Okay, everything's kind of basically run by a central government. Everybody has to obey the government because the government is taking care of you and taking care of your issues. The other side is going to be the Ayn Rand concept of Fountainhead and and um, Atlas Shrugged, where the socialistic utopia was basically robbing people of the desire to do anything going forward, and it was those who were free-thinking and 
wanted independence of thought and be responsible for themselves to be forming their own utopia, basically. I don't want to go down the political side of that, but as a writer, what is your thoughts on a utopian world in the sense of, is a utopia dystopic? Mm. Or a dystopic world utopic? I never found Ayn Rand's books too fun to read. <laughs> I don't know, maybe her well, utopia I was, I was thinking if you're going to define utopia, you could define it by the social safety net works perfectly type thing. You know, not every people have problems, but their problems, except if they choose to make them so, are no longer life or death. You have to go out and face adventure, and there might be death-defying risks, but those are things people seek out purposely. They go out and climb the highest mountain. They go out exploring that's actually dangerous, but they would have the choice to stay home and be safe if they choose to. So Hobbitville in the Shire is utopia. Was, it was designed to be a yeah. utopian. Yes. Because it was, if it like was Tolkien's They eat, and they world. drink, and they laugh, and they party, and they have fun, and they stay yeah. out late, and, you know. Yeah, and they hang out with each other, and, you know, I mean, And the conflicts they have are those cute little living. pub conflicts, exactly. you know. Mm-hmm. And it's the contrast with that, I think, that you can have it for a brief time in mm-hmm. writing, but it's like Childhood's End. He has the utopian part in there, too, mm-hmm. but then... The whole world changes when people change. I mean, but then the whole, Sauron's going to show up and yeah. screw everything up. <laughs> so, Sauron's going to screw everything I like that as an example then, Brad, because you said dystopia is fleeting because we need conflict Utopia in stories. Utopia is fleeting. Utopia is fleeting. We need conflict in stories. In stories. And um, I also wondered, I think it's an ideal as well. So in the Lord of the Rings books, um, for example, we start out in a utopia that is having little tendrils of bad creeping in and our hero leaves to kind of restore it as well as he can so he has to go out and that's where you have the conflict um you're out in the world where everything is not necessarily great and while you're hopeful despair is also a potential ending and after he gets all the way to um mount doom he makes his way back just as um bilbo does in uh the hobbit so Utopia is where they start, and then they go and have their journey of growing and everything, and then they come back to the utopia after they've done the creative lear- like learning and growth Unless you that they the can't do. <laughs> no, in which case, they come back to the smoking room. In which case, he comes back <laughs> to the Hobbit. Not in the Hobbit. Not in the Hobbit, no. Okay, well, Hobbit's the one I read most recently, so. Okay. Hobbit. He doesn't he go to Mount Doom And then he comes the back. He doesn't well, go to Mount Doom yet. One of the things that, in the movie version, which you're talking about, and in For the reason. Hobbit, itself is once these people have left utopia to go on this adventure they find they can no longer be a part of that utopia in a way let me borrow from joss whedon's um, movie serenity though this is the bad guy talking he he's telling mel reynolds the good guy that he cannot that there's no way he can be part of the utopia that they're going to create he is a monster he knows this so is Utopia created then for those who can't go beyond the Utopia? If you go beyond the Utopia, then you can no longer fit in. So we're building the Utopia for the children? But that reminds me of Brave New World. Mm-hmm. 
the Brave New World, there's the characters that, I mean, actually, I read that in high school as a dystopian novel, but I always exactly, thought I did too. there were a whole lot of elements to it that seemed pretty good. And that the people, was really the bad part about it. Yeah, and the thing is, people broke out of it, and the people break, the nonconformists had to go off and be somewhere else because they were disturbing to the people that were happy with their lives the way it was. <laughs> yeah, it was control through pleasure was Brave, through brave yeah. New World. Mm-hmm. It was and giving us what your we place. wanted when we wanted it. Yeah. And it was trapping in a way that's hard to describe. Mm-hmm. One of the things about the let me do a little backpedaling here about utopia versus dystopia. Utopia was a phrase that was coined by Sir Thomas More in Greek back in 1516. I've actually but, read Utopia, the, no, the book. Oh. I, I have another, not yet. That was another assignment in high school. Okay. Everything I read my senior year had to do with utopia or communism. Really? or I just read it for myself. Interesting yeah. high school. We need to talk <laughs> yeah. about it. Um, personally, I think that that history goes back even further. It does. It goes back at least, if not further back, at least to the argument between Aristotle and Plato mm-hmm. with Plato's mm-hmm. Republic. Yeah, yep. it does. And... Plato's Republic, just point blank, people were raised to be the sentinels, if I'm right. Those would be the ones that would take over the government, be trained to be the government, and supposedly trained to be watchful for the people. And yet we can see those who followed in his thoughts processes, how well that worked out. Mm -hmm. Roman Empire, Athenian Empire, so forth. Um, Well, the Egyptian Empire was created as a utopia, but the utopia they were creating was based off the chaos of the nature that they had come from. Uh So, I mean, you can look at the Egyptian culture and you can see how they could see it as a utopia. You've got all the water you need, you've got all this food you need, you've got all these, you know, the religion is there, the the leaders are there, Uh and that system lasted for thousands of years. Was it a utopia? Probably not, if you read the records. You know, there's a lot of conflict in that. But to a lot of people, it would have seemed like a utopia. Especially on the outside, looking in, it seemed like a utopia. I think sometimes the United States is viewed that way. Mm-hmm. We view it from some, a lot of times from the inside as being dystopic in many ways. But yet, if you really think about it, outside of the homeless, outside of those who really are in need, food is, food is plentiful. In fact, our poor are rich compared to what counts for poor overseas a lot. Our health systems are a lot better. Our transportation a lot better, our education a lot better, and we can walk around with little devices with entire libraries in them. And there's more to this than just that. So, yeah, but see, now the rest of the world is getting the little device that has the entire human knowledge in it. Yes, we're all so. getting used to them, so yeah. we're yeah. starting to lose the magic with them. Well, that's really the thing: is civilization is constantly, it's always improving slightly mm-hmm. over time. It's always changing over time. Whether or not it's an improvement depends on your perspective. Well, I think generally things get better. We have air conditioning. It's an improvement. <laughs> it's an improvement. But before you get going, um, what I was going to go with what I'm trying to say there is, is the idea of utopia and the idea of dystopia nothing more than an illusion? Huh. Well, um, I was going to ask, is growth possible in a utopia? And David, you said, is it merely an illusion, one or the other? Um, I think that goes back to something we were talking about much earlier in the conversation, is our outlook as a society hopeful or more despairing? As the United States being a utopia? Like, I think in in some ways, the perception of it being hopeful, you can, you know, if you work hard enough, you can achieve whatever it is you dream of being. That is a utopic ideal, I think. And the dystopia kicks in, or just the real life kicks in, 
when your perception changes from that to say, I cannot grow in the ways that I want to, whether that's in real life or a story, like is having the opportunity and knowing that you have it and being able to use it, able to work in a utopia. I don't think dystopia, whereas utopia is an illusion, I don't think dystopia is an illusion. Dystopia is, is a set, more of a sense of reality. And part of the reason I would say that is, I don't, know, I don't want to say true dystopian, because dystopian can just mean the opposite of utopian, but when we're talking about the Hunger Games or any of these other kinds of books that are dystopian out there, one of the things is, is a breakdown of society or a centralization of power and corruption and everything else, you know, and those things are real. And those things, those are hard realities of life that you, you know, it's not an illusion. You know, this, this is a corrupt world. This world has been destroyed. The cities are not what they used to be. Some of them are in ruins. Some of them are overgrown. You know, society has broken down and reformed itself. That's not an illusion. Whereas utopia can be an illusion because utopia is an ideal. But I think even that, even dystopia is a perspective. For example... A whole lot of stories set World War II could easily be written as dystopian novels, but they weren't written as dystopian novels. Yeah, but the destruction of Berlin and, you know, something along that, I mean, that's reality. You're yeah. living in a destroyed but city. But the point is, the the message and the overall message of that story could not uh, doesn't have to be dystopian. It could be Well, hopeful. that's the message. I mean, the yeah. message can be anything, but the reality is the setting, and you know, of utopia or dystopian, and... For utopia, the setting is can be anything. You know, it's an ideal. It's something that we all are striving towards. The setting for dystopian is very destructive and destroyed and in ruin. And I'm kind of going off your setting thing because one of the things that uh, I was thinking about is like a utopian novel. Have ever read any of those? And I'm thinking of uh, Shambhala. Uh, it's kind of a yeah. new age kind of book. And I think that's maybe where you see more of the utopian literature these days is where people are on spiritual quest. Mm -hmm. And so they'll turn to something like a Celestine prophecy or a Shambhala or something like that. And so you, you actually do get conflict. You do get um, some elements that we need to make an interesting novel. And yet the outcome is going to be more hopeful. You know, uh, and I think that is the Just so you know, the novel Utopia, I mean, it's not really a novel, but the book utopia yeah. had no no plot to well, it was yeah. it was anyway. it, well yeah, yeah. but yeah. utopia means no place yeah. in mm -hmm. latin yeah. and it was it was a description of how a perfect world would work right and i i think you know if you look back at what is considered utopian work uh, a lot of it is either satire or it's political or it's economic or it's religious mm -hmm. or you know it can be all the different facets of of human life uh, and they're just taking on one part of it and kind of saying, okay, what if this happened? What would it look like? What would happen then? And, you know, I, I think there is there is room for us to do that. Um, and I've seen contests even. I know there was a um, short story contest last year that I missed. I didn't get to write for it. But uh, they were trying, uh, they were sick of all the dystopians. They said, let's see some utopian stories here. Is a dystopia um, more about the setting, the world they are in specifically, or the outlook of the book? I ask that because, um, for example, 1984. We would generally call this a dystopia uh -huh. because we do. <laughs> but if at the end, two plus two had equaled, say, four, or, you know, maybe the re-education hadn't even happened, spoiler, bad things happen. It is not a happy ending. If the ending had been happy, though, if good had triumphed over, you know, Big Brother, would it still be a dystopia? Or is it just a, dystop a dystopic world with a hopeful ending 
let me let me use an example of where technically the ending was happy, but you still had a dystopian world, and that is Logan's Run. Mm. Yes, Logan's Run in that civilization. If you haven't read it, and I may begin the movie and the TV series and the books all intermixed when I say this, <clears throat> but in the in the civilization, you did not live past the age of 30. 20, 30. 30. Of 30. Life ends at 30. Life Come ends on. at 30. Yeah, no, life ends at 30. They tried, they have this ceremony in which you are supposed to be able, maybe if you make it, you'll be able to live longer, blah, blah, blah. Which you'll be can, reborn. You'll be reborn. But the characters leave Utopia. They find that the world is destroyed on the outside and been reborn. And they come back and they re, they demonstrate this to the world. There's there's a whole lot I'm not covering here because I don't want to do a lot of spoiler alerts. But there is a happy ending in the end of the first book. I'm trying to remember if in the second book there is or not. But the world looks like it's utopia. But truthfully, it is dystopia. And the outside world was dystopia, looking like dystopia, but really more closer to utopia. Okay, dystopian can always pass as utopia. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is that, and this is going to answer both your questions, dystopia and utopia are both settings. And the reason I say that, they are backdrops for which you write a story. And Teresa was just touching on this uh, in the sense of, you know, it is something you can lay out. Is It is a it is an avenue to tell another story. You know, unlike utopia, which is literally just laying out what a beautiful world would look like, usually utopia or dystopia is used to tell a story within it. So... A story in utopian settings of an insert of corruption, someone who's corrupt and needs to be taken out, or a dystopian of somebody rising up against, you know, that's the system, that, that's where your stories are coming in. So to that end, I'd say dystopian or utopian is a backdrop to tell something else. Right. I think a utopian story is really proving, is designed to prove, if you will, that mankind cannot live in paradise. That's that. We got kicked out. Yeah. We got kicked yep. out, and we that's got kicked out for a reason. See, and, and that's my thing about paradise: is paradise a utopia, or is paradise just the fleeting before the dystopian? <laughs> you know, because and you know, I mean, it's just a question of you, you know. You could just see it as like an allegory for childhood, because one of the things in the yeah. Garden of Eden is that you know they eat an apple and they gain knowledge, and knowledge is what draws drives them out. Yeah. So, and then also, also like. Uh, you know, like in Logan's Run, everyone thinks it's great, and then they leave, and they gain knowledge, and the utopia disappears. So really, you could just see it as, like, being naive. Yes. Ignorance you're, is bliss. You're yes. a child. Mm-hmm. Ignorance yes. is utopia. You're a God, child, and you think everything is great, no, it's not. and then you learn. Oh, my childhood. Okay, um. Knowledge is utopia. Let's go with that. <laughs> knowledge is utopia. Yeah, I'm not trying to agree with that. There's sometimes, there are things in real life I wish I didn't know. Yeah. You had said, Brad, (laughs) Brad, you pointed out that a lot of the things that I think I was bringing up were just realistic, not dystopian, realistic. So how would you guys define the difference between those two? I'm not sure, because you can have a very realistic, extremely realistic dystopian as far as writing. Mm -hmm. I think the issue was what details you focus on, because if you're dystopian settings... Are you're focusing at least mm. after the veneer gets cracked away? Mm-hmm. You're focusing on the problems, the the grittiness, the the oh, I'm trying to think of a good example from the like for instance the Hunger Games. It's seeing how little and how much they have to look to how much work Katniss has to go through to survive, and how much they're on the edge of survival. And the lottery is this huge central thing in their lives. And then contrasting this, well, if they had just had her village, 
exact same thing, except no lottery. And there was no one else in much better shape. Mm -hmm. They weren't being oppressed. They were just living on the edge of starvation. That wouldn't necessarily be dystopian. That would... It depends on what else happened. Maybe it's relative, yeah. Like, maybe dystopia and utopia are just relative to where we are right now. A utopia is better than what we have. A dystopia is worse. Not necessarily. I can do a Jamestown novel that would be much worse than we have, but not necessarily dystopian. Hmm. Is inequality, then, in some form, be it, you know, financial or social necessary for dystopia. In a utopia, so. you need equality because at least that's equality the point of equality. Free. Yeah. And in dystopian, I think that's kind of the, the heart a... of dystopian is that you have that inequality. Oh, I saw a movie about that. Uh, it was that guy, uh, Robert something or other. He used to be like secretary of state and he's really small. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> I don't remember anything else about that. <laughs> I'm not going to jump in that one. Really small. I appreciate the hand gesture and show us the height. I don't think children are that uh, short, but okay. Well, you know, like maybe yay big? Thank uh, you for giving him a foot. <laughs> well, anyway, he was just talking about like in economic terms, but uh, equality seems like a primary focus in terms of happiness for people. So Perceived maybe... equality actually is really important, too. Yes. It doesn't even have to be actual equality. It has to be, what does the person think? Does the, you know, do they feel oppressed? And to that end, I don't think that necessarily forms of government follow that. You know, I would not say that socialism is utopia in any way, shape, or form. I think socialism actually opens itself up to be more of a dystopian because of the centralization of power. It could. You know, so... It's the idea uh, that everyone's suffering the same amount. Yeah. You know, so... In terms of forms of government and in terms of forms of control, I think there's a difference. Well, but in terms of actual just utopian versus dystopian. My grandmother described heaven as, a, well, I mean, she thought that heaven would be ruled by a, heaven would be ruled by benevolent absolute dictator. Hmm. Namely, paradise hmm. could be run by a dictator if the dictator was perfect. If you had Superman... God, whoever in the rule. But are you opening up for Superman as a leader? Yeah. I think that went bad. But yeah. I remember in the DC comics. But okay. Dr. Doriani um, from my church, Central. Mm-hmm. Has He's currently in charge of. Uh, oh my gosh. Covenant Seminary. Him, thank you. I was trying to give him props yeah. to where he's actually employed at the moment. Yes. Um, he, in one of his sermons, said something along the lines of um, freedom is not the absence of a master freedom is the presence of the right master so you know i yeah. might be i would sort of disagree like with that completely but i'm the master of my I'm, fate i'm the captain of my soul, soul. Mm-hmm. exactly but what if you wreck yourself like check yourself man before you wreck oh. yourself Thank oh you. <laughs> you gotta check yourself but you know it, and what you just raised and i know i came off because i really do have a different disagreement there but it's, it's okay. I didn't explain terribly well. So that's okay. But irregardless, you have a you have various kinds of utopia and you have various kinds of dystopia. You have we've talked about economic as it's defined by economic. We've had it defined by equal rights. You just brought up by the point of how utopia or dystopia might be defined by religion hmm. itself, and which goes back to what I was asking earlier is. Is utopia and dystopia really an illusion? It is a point of view of from the glasses you are looking through. If you are looking at, for example, now I, I, I'm really going to regret bringing politics into this. I'm not going to bring in You've political. Done it twice now. I know. I'm not going to bring in political parties or anything like that. Third strike, you're out. <laughs> yeah, I mean you've already what, touched on what, religion. What I'm talking about. Yeah. 
We've hit is, the third rail. Yeah, we have hit the third rail, but <laughs> is from a point of view of somebody who is very ultra whatever belief in a liberal sense of the world, in other words, one where everybody's equal, and they see that as a dystopic because it should be their position, whatever that position is, would be the definition of utopia. But from the point of view of those living in that liberal world of equality across everything, that's utopia. And the idea that that very central base, whatever that is, would be dystopia. To jump on what you just said, I think you're almost looking, I mean, utopia, dystopia, you could almost look at it as pessimism and optimism. It's a glass half empty, glass, you know, full kind of thing. How do you perceive the glass? Mm -hmm. You know, is the culture you're living in a utopia because it's full or is it you're living in a dystopia because it's half full? You know, is it you know, is it the glass half full or is the glass half empty? Is that is that a utopia or is that a dystopia? To use your analogy, is a glass full because you're living in a utopia, or is the glass full because you're drowning in a dystopia? Could be either way, but I think it's a perception of how you see the glass. Mm-hmm. Oh well, this was going back to something else. I like where you guys were going, so um, hop back there later, sooner. Um, we had mentioned utopia as an illusion, and when we're kids, everything's great, and then we learn things. We gain knowledge and we realize, no, actually, that was a terrible time. We're just lucky we didn't know what was going on. I think the reverse is true of that, too. There are things that you, or major tragedies for kids, and then looking back, it's like, oh, boy, that was the worst thing I had to worry about. Yeah, so it's the gem and the holograms effect? <laughs> like, back in the day, I thought that it was actually a funny cartoon. And then you go back to it, and you're kind of like, okay. But like, I'm sure there's still Gem and the Holograms fans out there. There's gonna be a lot of sure movie examples. Well, there are. It was just the first one that came into my mind. I brought up childhood and utopia because, the like, snorks. when you're a kid, hey, I like the snorks. You know, you're not doing everything for yourself if you're lucky. Like, assuming you are not an orphan and your parents are responsible for you in some way and acting that way, you're not necessarily going to worry about putting food on your own table or, you know, getting to work because it's illegal. Um, There are things you don't have to worry about until you get older. So that's a right master situation as opposed to no master, David, because you had disagreed and I did not explain myself well at all. That's oh, an yeah. example. Yeah, if your parents are like, if your dad is like the kind who hits you with the whiskey bottle, you know, that's, <laughs> uh, that's going to be a dystopia for you, that childhood. And then you're going to come out like of it. Wrong master. Wrong master. But you're going to come out of it, and then like later in life. <laughs> Hit people with whiskey bottles. <laughs> you could turn into, your you could either turn into a joker or, or Harvey Two-Face, but anyway. So to that end, if you get hit with cotton candy, you're going to come out of it in utopia? Or is it just if they don't hit you? I think it's the not hitting. Yeah. Okay. All right. All this talking joke is great. Let's turn something else. Yes. (laughs) So. Yeah, but I I agree that you could turn in. I think any form of government, in my opinion, could be written as either utopia or dystopia. It depends on a bunch of other details. Would you let me take this to a different geeking world? Go for okay. it. Oh, yeah. uh, in the Transformers canon, <laughs> speaking oh, no. of cartoons that have yeah. 100% held their water this entire time. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily in live action. No, we're talking about original G1 Transformers yes. and the comic books that still kind of live in that world. Can we go all the way up to Beast Wars? Because I really like that Beast Wars too. was cool. And it is tangentially hooked in. It is. But we're not talking Transformers canon around they this table into right dinosaurs now. dinosaurs for some reason. Who knows? I'll That's explain a whole it to you day. later. All right, so G1. Yeah. G1. Uh, 
Someone drew a cool parallel. I wish I knew who so I could give them credit. Uh, the, the, the idea, in at least one form of the backstory, is that all the robots all belong to the same race, species, faction, and then they broke under the two different leaders, the Prime leaders and then the Megatron leader, and they became Autobots and Decepticons. Autobots are generally good, peaceful people. Decepticons like to, keep, to break things because they're there. <laughs> they want Energon. They want Energon. They want to take over everything because they're, they're just, you know, childhood evil characters. Exactly. Decepticons um, is a clue for the name. Yeah, they, they, they chose okay. to name themselves Decepticons. <laughs> Uh, point I was making, though, master-wise, uh, someone drew the parallel that Optimus Prime is a good father. He's patient mm-hmm. and thoughtful, and he might not be the strongest one in the fight. Honestly, he gets his can kicked more often than <laughs> you would expect in the cartoon. No pun intended. Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but he has a team of loyal people who want to follow his instruction. Versus Megatron who spends the whole time posturing about how much pow- more powerful he is, and he is more powerful. He transforms into a gun. He is very... Well, it's handheld. But <laughs> <laughs> Which seems but very it's, it's, Yeah, it's well, the iteration. You know, but in, later ones, in, it was a toy, in the toy world, it's he's handheld by a child, so it's yes. a giant gun. The point is that he's like power incarnate, sort of, mm-hmm. and all of his underlings are always trying to dethrone him because he's controlling with iron will and beating down and, and bad talk and all that versus the Autobots who are all helpfully working together under the good leader versus the bad leader, which is the bad side. Yeah, go ahead. Alright, so Brad, you had talked um, about any society being utopic. U- um, it's utopic. a perception. Yes, yeah, perception. So, um, and also it being a setting, not necessarily the story. Um, the plot of the story, whatever. Um, Jennifer, can you please repeat the last thing you said? Because I'm totally blanking. Oh, right. Right, right father. Good father versus bad father. Is the um, benevolence you, or malevolence of the leader in charge of a society a big part of how it is perceived? Yeah. In, in well, okay. I'd add effectiveness in there, too. Hold because on. you got to, a good guy. To the end effective. of what you're just saying, you've mm-hmm. got Camelot. The story of Camelot. The story mm-hmm. of Arthur. Which, you know, is technically a, a bad father. You know, because mm-hmm. Uther's a bad father. Mm-hmm. You have Arthur come out of that, but the true dystopian doesn't actually show up until Arthur's reign when Arthur, you know, for various reasons, depending on which one you're looking at, either, you know, needs to go on the Grail quest or some things happen, Mordred comes up, you know, different writers have used different things, but it's a bad father, you know, one would could argue whether or not Arthur's a good father or a bad father, but most people would say he's a good father because he's a great benevolent king, he has men who follow him. But the dystopian comes into that. But the dystopian isn't caused by Arthur. The dystopian is affecting Arthur, and it's Arthur's job to then write it and make it a utopian again. So I think it's still a perception. It's it's all elements you can play with. And the reason I bring that up is because you have the bad father elements, you have the dystopian elements, but at the core of it is that good father person, that good utopian character, trying to get back to the utopian. And I think that that goes along with... you can. If you want to geek it out, we can go with Marvel. Or if you just want to go stick with just mythology, you can stick with mythology and be that the Nordic myth. We have Asgard. We have the good father of Odin, or Woden, however you want to pronounce his name. You have Loki, who is played bad son, who actually, and what's interesting is he's both bad and good. He's the trickster. He's the trickster. He plays plays both ends against the middle. Didn't Odin have him with, like, a giant? 
Uh, he might. He's uh, yes. He's an adopted son in some versions. In some versions, he's oh. adopted. In other ones, he did have extramarital sex to have this child. You know, mythology. As it's you do. myth. Yeah. But in there, you have the final battle between utopia and dystopia. The dystopia represented by the giants, with being at Ragnarok, mm-hmm. and then the out of that comes a new utopia as the gods. Some of the gods are reborn. And mankind After the is reborn. Giants win, by the way. Right. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yes, in Nordic myth, the evil guys won briefly, and then um, mankind and the Earth, Mythgard. I probably won't Earth make the movies. Is <laughs> reborn. So does that go? And I was I was trying to connect that also to Transformers a moment ago. But then that does that indicate that utopia feeds into dystopia, feeds into utopia, feeds into dystopia as and a constant And the god's job is to prevent the dystopia from happening. So that comment about um, effectiveness of the leader then mm-hmm. is also very important for how long you get to keep the utopia versus... Yeah. It sounds like we've come to the conclusion that utopia and dystopia are in a giant cycle. That they yes. chase yeah. each other around the world like the, the sun god and the moon god. Yeah. Yeah. At least they're sort of reliant on each other mm-hmm. in contrast. If you don't have they dystopia, have will you the appreciate dark. the utopia when it yeah. comes? Yeah. Can no. we have yeah. utopia without dystopia? Or without no. knowledge that dystopia is possible? Yes, of course you can. You can be living in a society and you don't know that the, the society you're living in you know, that there's a, a horrible side of the society you're living in. And I mean that as in, like, you know, I'm living idyllically in my Superfly Jetsons apartment, but I don't know that, you know, the Flintstones actually existed right but next to But would you think of your uh, Jetsons apartment as Utopia if you didn't know the Flintstones existed? I that. would really hope so. Because that was <laughs> I, cool. I don't think you would. I want so, one button pushing. At the, risk, at the risk of sounding like it's uh, Confucianism, then you cannot have light without darkness or darkness without light. Yeah. yeah. Utopia yeah, and dystopia. Do the Duality. people in the society and the story need to know that they're in a utopia or dystopia because the readers will have experienced both good and bad. It is the reader's perspective that's most important. Yeah. Yeah, the the read the oh in like the giver and a lot of these things like in Brave New World. Don't spoil the giver. It's coming out as a movie <laughs> yeah. here well, soon. Well, point is, I'll, I'll I'll stick to Brave New World that we've already spoiled. A whole lot of the people in there don't see themselves as living in dystopia. They see themselves as being perfectly happy. So the main character. They see it as dystopia. So I guess the real question is, are we living in a dystopian or a utopia right now? Or are we living in both? Yeah. We're in dystopia. But that's a talk for another day. Yeah. Trying for utopia. Yeah. And on that note, <laughs> I turn it over to you, yeah. the listener. Do you, can you write utopia in this world? Can you write dystopia in this world? What world do you see as a writer and as a reader? In fact, let us know. Find us on Facebook at the Right Pack Radio. Or you can Twitter feed us at at Right Pack Radio on Twitter. Or leave comments at at our blog site at the Blog Talk Radio backslash or slash Right Pack Radio. <laughs> Theme songs for Right Pack Radio were written and performed by Meredith Tate. All copyrights remain with her. Right Pack Radio would like to thank STL Books for allowing us to record in their office. STL Books is a online bookstore specializing in new and used high-quality literature, children's books, and books written by or about St. Louis. Please visit them online at www.stlbooks.com or find their store on the Amazon.com 
website. 